0: Let's skip the intro music and get right to it. Should I take the GMAT or the GRE? Whichever one gets you a better score. So take both practice tests. The GMAT is at mba.com and the GRE is at ets.org. That's echo Tango sierra.org. Take both those practice tests. Whichever one gets a better score fresh without prep is the one you should prep for and take. Next is what's an average score for top-tier schools? So a 330 on the GRE and the 730 on the GMAT is what the top seven schools typically report. The GMAT Focus is new as of 2023, and you'll need to do some research as to what a good score is, but from what's been released so far, a 655 on the Focus is in the 93rd percentile, whereas a 730 on the regular GMAT is in the 95th percentile. So I'd say anything above like a 670 on the GMAT focus is equivalent to the average GMAT for now. Again, though, this is anecdotal, you'll need to do some research on it. Um, Follow-up question to that is usually, do most schools accept the GMAT focus? And to my knowledge, as of round three or the first, um, as of round three in 2024, basically right now, All of the major schools are accepting it. Of course, do your own research on it. Confirm that they take it. But to my knowledge, they all are accepting the GMAT focus. Next, we have, can I get into a top-tier school? Statistically, no, but probably. You need to make your application an easy yes, and there's a lot more to it than just a high test score. Speaking of test scores, what's the most important part of an application? The essays. But you heard the test scores matter most. Yep. But I never walked into my boss's office and said, hey, this applicant's essays suck, but they have a 780 on the GMAT. We have to admit them. On multiple occasions, me and every other admissions officer put an application through with a low test score because they had excellent essays. But seriously, everything I read about says the test matters the most and I'm spending all my time on the test, so... All right, listen... You need a score that doesn't totally suck. I I hear you. My wife went through this process too, and I remember months of stress and her collapsing on the floor crying because of these damn tests. But here's the truth. You need a score that won't radically skew the average, and then you need to make the rest of your application awesome. Let's not blow smoke though, right? A 770 GMAT is great. It really is. A higher test score is always better. But stick with me here, and here's a vocab word. A high score is often a Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhus, or virus, I assume that's how it's pronounced, was a Greek general, and he fought the Romans. He won, but he lost too many men during the battles and eventually lost the entire war. So basically, the cost of winning the battle was that he lost the war. This is similar to the amount of time people spend getting, you know, a 760 which makes you, again, slightly above average when applying to top-tier schools. Your time, in all likelihood, would be much better spent on the other parts of the application. So much like future business decisions you'll have to make, there's an opportunity cost here. You'll have to make your own choice, but I can tell you firsthand that admissions directors hate using GMATs and GREs, and we're all waiting for the day for them to go away. Get a non-terrible score, work hard to improve it, but know when to move on and work on the rest of your application. Speaking of moving on, how much does an MBA cost and is it worth it? The answer honestly is it costs a lot. And if it's a top tier school, it's almost always worth the price. Should I negotiate for scholarships? Absolutely. Be sure to add new information to your request though. Don't just repeat what's in your application. And in general, for most schools, you're just going to email whatever director you've been assigned. You'll usually see that in your acceptance letter that bill has been assigned to you. That's the person you're going to chat with um, and ask for more money. And you can flat out ask for it. Uh, Remember, too, though, if you've already been offered a scholarship, they, they won't reduce it if you ask for more. Do not worry about that. Another common question I always get is I don't have a business education and that's fine. It's actually more than fine. If you have a super soft degree, like I have a master's degree, but it's in poetry, you'll, you'll need to prove your quantitative chops, basically your math chops elsewhere, either with a good test score or more likely something like MBA math. And we discuss this in more detail in other episodes, uh, similar and, and sentiment to that question is, I don't have a business background, right? So the first one is a business education. Second one is a business background. This is totally not an issue nowadays. You go to business school to get a business future, not a business background. More importantly, a non-traditional background presented properly is insanely powerful. Speaking of backgrounds, we usually run into the whole, my GPA is low. My answer to that is to don't, don't hide it work hard to score well again on the quantitative sections of the GMAT or the GRE or MBA math or whatever you need to do and address the low GPA without apologizing for it. You can likely do this in the optional essay or the explanation part of most applications. And at times though, you can also just cover it in your, why do you want an MBA? Um, just don't worry about hiding from it, but don't apologize. Say that, you know, you were silly and didn't take school that seriously when you were a teenager Hey, that's a fairly common thing, not a big deal. Next is I only have two years of work experience or two years or less. And this isn't a hard stop, deny. Uh, This is a tough one though. It'll need to be really, really good experience. And this is not necessarily a hard and fast rule that business schools have. It's just the level of competition you're going against. You can have a good GMAT, good essays, good resume, good work history so far, But the majority of applicants are going to have all of that and much more work history. Next, uh, I actually get asked this relatively often. is just how much money can I really make with an MBA? Uh, A lot. Uh, A whole lot. Like crying in a mansion. A lot. All right. The next one is, should I pay for test prep? Um, I've literally heard nothing but horror stories. My wife also has one for, for test prep and just listen through the podcast for proof. Uh, as of right now, it's early 2024. The only decent prep service I know of is gregmat.com. It's a clever name. It's gregmat.com, but they say it, or like it's capitalized in a way that it says gregmat.com. So gregmat.com. And the reason I say it's decent is because it's super affordable. I think it's like 10 bucks a month or something. Uh, but categorically, the only great place to work on test prep and math skills is Khan Academy. And as they say, that's always free for everyone. So start with Khan Academy, look up gregmat.com and good luck. Uh, test prep, just like consultancy is very much a, uh, money-making racket in most cases. Um, I will certainly be reporting more on Greg Matt once I hear some of my, some of my, um, friends and family and everything who's using it, I'll let you know the verdict on Greg Matt hopefully soon. Speaking of hiring people, should I hire a consultant? No. Listen to this podcast, and if you still think you need a consultant, make sure they offer a free intro session of some kind and use that intro session to see if you get along with them. I do consult, but I only take on very few clients and for a much, much lower price than the typical $20,000 for five schools nonsense you see out there. Uh, you can check out the mbapodcast.com for more info, but there's no option to hire me for consulting there. You'd have to meet with me um, and we chat first and see if see if I can even help and if we'd work together well and then we can move forward from there. But in general, listen to this podcast. I'm giving away everything I possibly can for free. And the only reason you should really help a consultant is if your situation is very niche and you know you need one-on-one attention. Um, otherwise, I'm gonna give everything I can that's general and still applicable, but general advice away in this podcast. All right, my favorite question, how long should my resume be? One page. But I, but I have a lot of work experience and an MD or a JD. Cool, one page. Look, I, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I mean, as of this year, as of 2024, Stanford just changed their application to say, if you have over a decade of experience, you may use up to two pages. And guess what? You should still only do one page. Here's why. So bear with me here. There's a quote from a book called The Secret Life of Bees. And it says, if you want something from someone, find a way for them to give it to you. You, my listener, want your directors to say yes, to admit you. Literally, without fail, every time I worked through an application and got to the resume and saw that it was one page, I felt gratitude. Listen to that word, gratitude. Do you know how many resumes a director will read? I do. It's awful. And they are poorly written, weirdly worded, they're overly long, and mostly nonsense. But man, oh man, when that beautiful single-page resume shows up, you've just earned yourself some serious favor. I'm not kidding. Plus, for what it's worth, when you get into business school, one of the first things you'll do is write a one-page resume. So, your resume, make it one page, and use plain English. How long should my essays be? Obviously, under the word count. I'm actually fairly surprised at how many people miss that. If the word count is open-ended, like Chicago Booth has, at least as of right now, a 250-word minimum, Like you definitely don't want to go more than a thousand words and that's seriously pushing it. Um, Concision is key here. Uh, Speaking of essays, should I use the optional essay? And in most cases, yes. So let's use booth as an example. The, the two prompts, the essay prompts there are, why do you want an MBA and why do you want it from Chicago booth? Let's say like we talked about earlier in this episode, you have a low GPA. If you can naturally address the low GPA in one of those two essays for booth, that's fine. You don't really need to address it again, but I wouldn't like shoehorn it in there and force the, the GPA explanation in one of those essays. You're totally fine using the optional essay part. Also, obviously if the instructions say otherwise, do otherwise, but every application I've seen, which are at least all the top seven, you don't need the optional essay to be an actual essay. It can literally be a sentence where it's like, I don't know, hey, I work for myself, so I don't have any supervisors. That's why my two recommenders are high-level clients or something. It doesn't doesn't need to be properly formatted. I mean, you want it to be spelled properly and everything, but it doesn't need to have a five-paragraph feel to it or anything like that. So, yeah, uh, if if you have anything to share in the optional essay, it's usually a pretty good idea to use it. All right, super applicable right now. Uh, Should I apply in round three? Yes, it it doesn't hurt. Now, this is a rapid-fire FAQ, and I go into detail in other episodes, but the truth is this. Harvard and Stanford get way more applications than the other M7, uh, primarily because of name recognition. And yield, meaning how many people they admit versus how many people accept, is likely higher for those two schools when they get into round three meaning essentially all that jargon is essentially places like Stanford and Harvard probably have less room or less spots available in round three. For all other schools, this sentiment may still be true, but it's likely statistically irrelevant. And in a super cliche way, if you don't apply, you'll have a 0% chance of getting in. And again, it doesn't hurt to apply in round three and reapply the next year. Getting, you know, most people who apply to the top seven schools get denied. So if you apply this year, round three, get denied, it's not going to hurt your application next year. Speaking of that, should I reapply? Yes, but your entire application needs to be redone, not copy and pasted. To my knowledge, the the college, all colleges have access to your previous application. I know the one I worked for, it was literally a click of a button, and I could pair last year's with this year's and see if you did, in fact, just copy and paste. You can likely use the same recommenders, though, but you'll need to give that a lot of thought, and again, to my knowledge, they're still going to have to resubmit. Um, I do not believe there's an option to just carry over last year's letters of rec. And when it comes to those letters of recommendation, who should write them? And that's going to be someone who can speak to your business acumen. And if you don't have a business background, someone who can speak to your leadership initiative, your drive, your potential, so on and so forth. Now, of course, ideally, this is the supervisor. In almost all cases, this should not be a professor. Probably the one exception being if you were recently a JD or MD and did some sort of huge initiative in that professional school that a professor helped with that'd be a unique situation. Um, obviously not a family member. Um, I know, but I did have someone ask if their dad could write a letter of recommendation. Um, no, even if they are your boss, still no. Next question from that is always, I work for myself. Now who should write my letters of rec? This is extremely common. Tons of entrepreneurs, uh, apply and even incredibly high level people apply to get MBAs. So it's the same answer as before. And yes, at times a client or a customer can be appropriate. Just make sure that they are obviously again, able to speak to your leadership potential, your drive, etc. Getting a little more high level or philosophical here are the top tier schools really that much better? Honestly, uh, yes, I, I wish this weren't the case. Uh, because the knowledge you gain from an MBA, be it from an unranked college or a Harvard, the knowledge you gain is still excellent. But especially with the job market drying up as it is, the top tier schools are even more valuable. It's it's just the way it is. I don't wanna blow smoke. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Speaking of rankings, a lot of people ask, is, isn't Harvard better than Wharton? Uh, Wharton's ranked number one or Booth, or whoever is ranked number one when you're listening to this? And that's a really good question. No. So first of all, the rankings change depending on the source. If you go to Poets and Quants, a popular MBA website, which I would recommend anyone looking into getting an MBA, Poets, like when I am a poet, and Quants, Q-U-A-N-T-S, Poets and Quants, it's an MBA website and it has aggregate ratings. And the difference between the top schools is laughably irrelevant. That being said, of course, it's still nice to be number one. Speaking of, as of 2023, Wharton is number one, which indexes, of course, at 100. Chicago Booth is number two at 99.9. Harvard is all the way down at number five with the pitiful score of 99.0. Obviously, the difference isn't big. The difference between Harvard and Wharton number one and number five is .9. The first real drop off comes with Yale at number eight with a score of 93.6. And think about that sentiment there. If you're like, hey, I got an MBA from Yale, no one's gonna laugh at that. And it's down at 93.6 and number eight. So Harvard and for that matter, Stanford, they both have major name recognition and a lot of that honestly comes from Hollywood. And don't get me wrong, it's still Harvard. If you get in, good for you, you're set. But also you're just as set if you get into the other top tier schools as well. So speaking of higher level stuff, David, I'm curious here. Why, What? what's happening now that affirmative action is no more? Is this good or bad? My honest to God answer to that is neither. It just didn't do what it was supposed to do. And truly it's insulting to think directors need the government to tell them DEI is important. It's been my experience, it's usually the other way around. It's usually people like directors saying, hey, we need a more diverse set of MBAs graduating from our top tier schools. Wonder if we can make some sort of government initiative for this. So I've met a lot of directors and I've worked with a lot too. And weird as this is, I don't really get what it is about MBA directors. Without fail, they all seem to be completely on board with creating a diverse class of MBA candidates. They actually care. I've rarely worked for a place where regardless of getting along with people or liking their style, what have you, I can genuinely say they all genuinely care about what they're doing and who they're admitting to these schools. So the process, the big bad system into which these well-intended directors have to fit, that's changed, but their goals haven't. Um, Directors for some reason at top tier MBA schools just through and through, seem to be really good people. Um, Now, if that's not enough to convince you, if that's too soft, the, the truth of it is too, it doesn't have anything to do with how you apply. It doesn't change how you apply. So as tough as it is, whichever side of this thing you're on with affirmative action, it doesn't change how you're gonna apply. So just get to it. Next question is, should I visit? And definitely if you're like my wife and I, and needed to save money, you can visit after you've received offers only visit the places you've been offered to. If you're able to visit beforehand, even better. Kind of in, in a similar, uh, similar vein is that should I attend, you know, 10 events or how many events should I include attend? Sorry. How many events should I attend, including visits and I'd say you should attend at least three events, and they can all be virtual. It's pretty unfair to give a bunch of brownie points to people who can physically visit these top-tier campuses because it's really hard for most people like us who live stateside to visit, but even harder for international students to get over here just to visit a college for a couple of hours. Visiting campus is a great way to figure out if you like the program, but it won't do anything more than a virtual campus tour or classroom visit or a Q and A session or whatever else would do. In general, directors want to see that you've attended about three events. Anything more should only be done if you're genuinely interested in the event. Be sure to register though for the event with the same email you used to create your application. And if you haven't started an application, do so. Your email is how they'll track your involvement and interest in the school. So register for an event, using registering for the event using that email is key. And of course, actually having an application, if it's incomplete or otherwise, it's fine. You need to have something in the system to actually tie your registration to. So just start an application, even if it's just creating a login, and then use that same email to register for events. I'd say this isn't a frequently asked question or it's not frequently asked enough and it's should I reach out on LinkedIn in general no unfortunately this method has been ruined by a lot of people seeking quantity over quality so if you have a genuine connection with someone sure reach out otherwise it's best to leave them be Um, most reports we were getting when I was working Um, as a manager in admissions was, can you please stop telling every applicant in the world to reach out to me? I am tired of my inbox being filled with them. So yeah, um, back off of that a little bit. Next one, let's get specific here. Uh, I'm a veteran, what's different for me? So you need to demilitarize your essays and resume. Also, weirdly, your GPA matters less. A good GPA is still good, don't get me wrong. And if you're an academy grad with a good GPA, all the better. But if you're enlisted like I was and took a decade to get your undergrad and maybe you had a 2.7, but you deployed eight times during that decade, the directors are not going to hold a low GPA against you. In sum, um, the tried and true methods of grading applications or ranking applications pretty much goes out the window in the best way possible if you're a veteran. It's incredibly important that you apply, though, as schools have recently, like last few years, like post covid and moving forward, the last few years, they become even more veteran-friendly. And a lot of them have always been veteran-friendly, but they're really pushing it. Now, I'm biased since my wife is a Boothie, but I'll say it here to my fellow vets. If you're considering an MBA, you must apply to Booth. I cannot say enough good things about the vets at the school. And the director currently in charge of veterans, Eddie, um, hopefully he's there forever. He's already been there forever, but hopefully he stays there forever as well. Um amazing human being, truly, truly cares. I'm really proud to be a veteran and truly proud of what Booth is doing for veterans. So there's my plug. Still, apply to like five of the top seven schools, just make sure Booth is one of them. And if you have further questions about veteran things, we'll have episodes about that as well, including how to get money, even if you have the GI Bill or something like that. An incredibly recent question is, can I use ChatGPT or other LLMs to write my essays? And yes, uh, you can, but it turns out pretty dull essays and it's obviously unethical. And if they ever find out, you would, I would, I would assume you would get kicked out. Um, It's just academic dishonesty. Honestly, though, they're, they're generic and they can be completely fabricated. So it's like a double, double ethical breach um, that no school accepts chat GPT written essays. And literally it will make up your background if you don't tell it what to do. That being said, I'm a huge fan of technology and AI and LLMs, and it's a decent tool for condensing stuff. So you could write your essay and then you can ask ChatGPT or whichever one you want to use to condense your writing and just see what it returns. And if nothing else, it's a good way to get a different perspective on your work. Again, it'll need to be You'll see what I mean. You'll read it and you'll be like, yeah, I mean, it sounds good, right? But again, good is not good enough to get into top tier schools. It needs something more. But I get it. Not everybody out there is a professional writer or very comfortable with writing. Um, and that, that's that's kind of okay. You need to learn how to use your tools properly, like asking people for help. People and their help can be very expensive, ChatGPT is not, so feel free to use it for what it's worth. It's really good at catching grammatical errors, so absolutely have it checked for that. And as an exercise, and I'll get into this more, or I already have actually in the essay episodes, but as an exercise, it can be cool to, let's say you have a thousand words, right? Plug it in, say, ChatGPT, act as an expert essay editor. Don't change too much wording, but condense this thousand words to its main core points, and no more than 500 words, then you'll you'll need to take a break, right? You need to get away from the screen and kind of come to it with fresh eyes. I know that sounds weird, I promise you it matters. When you come back to it, read ChatGPT's essay. I think you'll be surprised, it's almost kind of insulting at times, where you're like, huh, 500 words less, and that still basically gets across the sentiment I was trying to. That can kind of help you narrow down your essay, if you're really having trouble kind of condensing all of your reasons why you want an MBA. I've seen really good results from ChatGPT kind of helping people learn what the real strengths of their writing are. So use it for what it's worth, which is a good editor. All right, let's go to, let's do a final question here. And this is, usually it's a GRE or GMAT, and I would say this is actually the other most common immediate question I'm asked, which is some form of what are directors really looking for? And honest to God, in a sentence, directors are looking for a candidate they can feel good about admitting without having to radically skew the school's shiny high rankings. That's it. So I'm sure you have a lot more questions and a lot of them are probably specific to your situation. So be sure to listen to the other episodes as I cover a lot there. And if you're still needing answers, reach out through our website Or use the comment section of these particular episodes and just shoot me a question. And we will talk soon, my friend. Best of luck with your whole MBA journey.